He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhusker site of terrific fun. Uh, we are joined again by Matt Brown, one of our SB Nation College League managers. This episode, we're going to talk about SB 206, also known as the Fair Play, Fair Pay for Play Act, a bill that was signed into law recently in the state of California. The law allows student athletes to be paid for their name, image, and likeness without being punished by California schools. Matt, how you doing this morning? You know, I'm I'm doing okay. It's been a, a very busy past couple of days because the news around this legislation of the now looks like about a dozen states filing copycat legislation has been moving very, very quickly. So it's been a little bit of a challenge to keep up, but it, these are exciting times. They're exciting times if you're a, a giant nerd like me, and they're exciting times uh, for the oh, future God, of college David. athletics. You know what? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Key points about this law. SB 206, and I'm going to call it that because it sounds more you know, it sounds more ominous. It sounds like uh, Death Star SB 206, like a designation. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, or like some know. tropical virus or something. Yeah, and I, I see in the Indy Star, here's what I see is uh, their their headline today is NCAA chaos coming after California says, and then I can't read the rest of it because it's restricted, but that's enough. You know what I mean? People, I've, I've seen people online respond to this. I did just a short bit on it yesterday on our website, and and people are very ignorant about what this means. They're very, let's say, maybe we could say it's generationally split between how they feel about it, you know? I, I think that's very fair, especially for sports writers. I, I think people under 40 are generally much more skeptical of amateurism. Uh, or at least as amateurism as currently defined, than maybe uh, writers of a different generation. You know, especially if you know your entire college sports experience has been post deregulation of cable television. You only know this sport as a hyper big business, right? Like the big money started to really come in probably in the early 1990s. The, the TV was deregulated, I think, in like '85. Um, and if you remember college athletics before then, or if you, you know, when it was obviously still a business, but not quite as, you know, $52 million a year check from Fox to the Big Ten kind of business, you might feel a little bit differently about a couple of different things. There, there, there were some coaches from my previous generation that were maybe, you know, different paragons of this amateurism virtue uh, than, than exists now. And that's, that's, you know, for good or for ill, that concept is under attack even even more, and there's there's really no way you can avoid it. Yeah, I'll, I'll share you with you a quote from my brother-in-law, and he's in his like mid seventies. And a couple of years ago, he told me something that I re I still remember. And the quote is, "The older you get, the more you don't like rebels." And what what this what this really this law and this this represents a big change, right? Here's the thing. 
Wait yeah. a minute. We should back up a minute. We should fill in the blanks because we're going right into the discussion and we're not even talking about SB 206 without filling people in on what exactly it is. So let's start there. Sure. Let, let me let me explain exactly what this this particular bit of legislation does and explain how maybe some other states are a little bit different. So what what this does is this uh, you know makes it the, the law says the NCAA or another entity cannot punish a, an athlete in a California institution. And that's not just the PAC 12. That's every California public or private school within the NCAA divisions one, two, and three. Um, so I, I think there's like, it's either 56 or 58 schools. All of these schools, if you are a, an athlete, whether you're a football player or a volleyball player or a water polo player, and you want to sell your likeness rights either to EA sports. So you can be in the next video game or to a local car dealership, or to a local club, so you can promote their, you know, their, their, uh, you know, their party on, on Instagram over the weekend, you can get a check for that, and nobody can punish you for it. Um, right now, it, any athlete can't receive any kind of outside money for their likeness or anything. You can't start a YouTube channel, because uh, the NCAA would look at that as some kind of impermissible benefit, and you could lose your eligibility. So this is a pretty substantial change. It doesn't go into effect tomorrow. The California law is not scheduled to kick in until January 1st, 2023. And I spoke to one of the attorneys who helped write the law. And the big reason for that is because they hope to negotiate with the NCAA to reach some other kind of uh, national policy or, or, or a, a compromise between what a, a very open market, which is what California is proposing, and what the NCAA would like, which would be as close to market as possible. Um, however, other states are looking at this and realizing if we don't act, hypothetically, California schools could be at a major recruiting advantage. So we should allow this in our states as well. And, you know, as of the time, this is, this is Thursday, Wednesday morning, whatever day it is um, <laughs> that we're talking, I think we're about a dozen states. Um, California is obviously the largest. There is proposed legislation in Pennsylvania. Uh, there's two different bills in Florida with a much more aggressive timeline. Uh, there's one in my home state here of Illinois. There's one in Minnesota. Um, there's some other ones across the West. Uh, I would expect Michigan and Maryland and Connecticut to have uh, ones relatively soon. So um, there's, there, there needs to be some kind of a solution, whether that's – and the NCAA is adamant in making sure that it's not 50 different states having 50 different amateurism rules. So I would imagine we're either going to see a federal rule or we're going to see something coming out of this working group that establishes new likeness guidelines for everybody across the country that will be more liberal than what they are right now. So if the, if the if first of all the NCAA is a giant bur bureaucracy that includes division 1, 2 and 3, correct? Correct. And giant bureaucracies move really fast. Don't Everyone's they? always saying this. Yes. So uh, there's a having that timeline is is realistic. I literally they they're going to take that long to argue back and forth about this, aren't they? They, they will if they can. Now, now Florida, based on the, the text of the law that I've seen right now, wants this to go into effect by I, I, either 2020 or 2021, and other states may push for a sooner timeline. Um, I think that the NCAA will take as long as they possibly can 
um, and the courts and state and legislature and either the federal government or state governments will uh, try to expedite that process. And I think that that's pretty consistent with you know with major reforms over the last 30 years. Right, the NCAA dragged its feet on liberalizing its television broadcasting policy. It almost split up the NCAA until the Supreme Court said, no, you have to change it. And then they did. The, the NCAA dragged their feet on, on a cap for uh, scholarship awards until the court said, no, you need to be, schools need to be allowed to give cost of attendance. And then so they did. Um, and, and I think that's going to be what ends up happening here or for Title IX, right? Like they dragged their feet on women's sports and then the court said, no, actually, you have to do this. And then they did. And nobody died. And that's probably what, what this is going to be. So the NCAA hates this, kind of like my brother-in-law hates change. And let's be honest, that's why you have this split over 40. Once you get over 40 and and really over 50, because 40 is the new 50 or something. Um, I mean, you know, the world's set. And as it changes, you're kind of like, oh, come on. But uh, the NCAA hates this. And they want it tethered somehow to education, correct? Correct. Um, there, there's the biggest reason why they hate it is that it, it's a it's a big power disruption. So let's 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 TCU's athletic director said this out loud recently, and most people have tried to kind of dance around it. But let's say you are a big TCU fan and you own an auto dealership in Fort Worth. Right now, if you want to see TCU win football games, you write a big check to the TCU athletic department. And you hope that they build a shiny new locker room with a barber shop and laser beams and, you know, whatever, in the hope that they can recruit better players to help TCU win football games. But what you could do now, assuming that this becomes some sort of national policy, is you could theoretically write a check directly to the football players. Have them come in, cut a commercial, help your own business a little bit, and cut out the middleman entirely. Now, the end result, TCU wins football games is still the same, but the TCU athletic department um, loses donations um, or, or potentially could lose donations depending, you know, the, the exact incentives might change depending on the tax code a little bit. And that is, that, that scares a lot of administrators because even if there's a, a relatively modest decrease in, in donations or, or booster involvement, that might mean a couple of admins lose their jobs. So that's, that, that's a major reason why they're dragging their feet on this. If they want to preserve um, some of their you know, legal, some of their legal precedent that they've won in other court challenges to amateurism, most particularly O'Bannon, then they definitely want to tie to education. And the more tied to education, or the more restrictive this light marketplace is, the more control the NCAA has over it, the slower the change happens. And that's going to be where the sausage making really comes in over the next couple of years. That's where the lawsuits are going to come in, don't you think? Yes, I mean. Unquestionably, I think the NCAA is going to challenge the constitutionality of SB 206. And this is something I'm going to have on extra points, I think, maybe next week. I have some some interviews with some uh, law professors and, and people who are involved in this bill and people who, who study constitutional law uh, to kind of break this down. You know, there's very, very big picture because I'm one of the three attorneys and one of the three bloggers that's not an attorney is that there was a case, I believe in the early 90s in Nevada, where the Nevada State House uh, tried to uh, create a law that would require you know, entities being punished by the NCAA to have different due process rights. 
This was after UNLV got dunked on with sanctions. Uh, and that was ruled unconstitutional because of the Interstate Commerce Clause. And so the NCAA and a, a couple of lawyers on Twitter think that, that this might be an overreach there. A lot of other lawyers and economists I've, I've seen say no for a bunch of other different reasons, which are probably a little bit I, – I, I, I'm going to wait till I can talk to them a little bit more and, and try to you know, translate that into regular people on my newsletter. Um, but even if, if they decide to sue rather than trying to break down a solution here first, I think that that will make it more likely that the, they'll have a more restrictive federal law. That happens. So there's going to be some lawsuits, and I think there's going to be some lawsuits after the fact because there are some economists and some activists that don't want any restrictions in this market. If you think that you're being able to control your own likeness is a civil right, then why should you accept any restriction um, or, or any restriction that isn't collectively bargained so you get something out? Um, I, I, I don't think we've seen the last – I don't think the last fight in this war is going to happen in 2023. So this is a obviously it's an evolving process. I've I've seen a lot of comments on websites about how this is going to destroy everything. What was the NCAA called it an existential threat? What do you think of that? Uh, I I I think we shouldn't we should ignore that. I you know when, when faced with a lot of these legal challenges. College administrators and people within the NCAA have, I think, have been really overdramatic in their doomsday predictions. The, the most famous case was Jim Delaney a couple of years ago during the O'Bannon deliberation saying, like, hey, we'll drop to Division Three if we have to play players. Like, no, you won't. <laughs> and, and, and they didn't. They had to, they had to pay a couple, extra, you know, a couple extra thousand dollars a kid for cost of attendance. They signed like a bajillion-dollar television deal. They're going to sign another enormous one in two years. And everything was fine. The NCAA said that that Title IX would, would be an existential threat and would shut down college athletics. Then it didn't. And deregulation, I think, had some negative effects. You know, it, it led to some conference you know, bloat and it gave us Rutgers and it took away some cool rivalries, but it didn't end the sport. So I, I think it is fair to say that there's going to be some externalities that we can't totally predict. And maybe there'll be some things that there, there may be some excesses and, 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 and things may not go perfectly. But is, is this a, a threat to existentially to what makes college athletics? No. And, and I got to be honest, I, I think most FBS football players are not going to be getting, you know, checks here over $5,000. Like, I, I don't think this is – I think it's going to help a lot of people. I don't think it's going to be an enormous sea changer. The schools that get really good recruits now are probably going to continue to get really good recruits. The schools that don't. Probably won't. So really, when it comes, let's step back to Title IX. Title IX had unintended consequences. And those sure. one of those unintended consequences was basically that uh, men's gymnastics really isn't an NCAA sport anymore. And a, a huge number of college colleges closed down their men's wrestling programs in order to meet sure. Title IX uh, requirements, you know, the balance of women's versus men's scholarship offerings. Uh, you've talked a little bit about unintended consequences. What do you, the biggest ones are what? We don't know yet, do we? We don't. I, I, I'm trying to, you know, be fair and, and keep an open mind about 
everything that might happen here. Because I don't, I don't think every argument against this is in bad faith. Like, boy, howdy, are there some, are there some bad faith, ignorant ass, you know, arguments about this? But I don't, I don't think necessarily all of them are. So, for one, I do think it's going to be a locker room challenge once these endorsement checks are out in the open, and probably quarterbacks are going to make more than other players on the team, and we may see some cases where freshmen who have not proven themselves on the field are, are making more money or, or more or, you know, over the table here than maybe some other you know more unsung leaders and just, and that's a, that happens in professional sports too and you need strong leaders from coaches and from other players on your team to be able to quell that i mean you and i both know that players are getting money now um even at schools that we root for um, and that is potentially something that that can come into play. But you need you need good leadership, and you need good leadership from from the athletes themselves to quell that. And we we may see a couple of locker rooms uh, face some real struggles. I think it is possible that some that some schools, probably not at the highest P5 level, but maybe maybe kind of your Washington states or your Oregon states that are already a little bit cash hamstrung. If they see a you know a seven percent decline in athletic donations because it goes directly to the players, they're going to have some maybe difficult administrative choices to make. Now, when you, if a school decides you know after this, hey, if people are going to stop donating money to us, we're going to cut tennis. That's a choice that they're making. They don't have to do that. They could pay their football coaches ten percent less. They could forego expensive facility renovations. They could do other things. Some of them may simply decide to cut some Olympic sports. Now, they can't universally cut women's sports because of, of Title IX, but do I think it is, it is at least possible that a couple of schools will make financial cut decisions that will be bandied about on Twitter as like, well, this is what happens when you let players get paid? Yes. I think that, I think that is hypothetically possible. Um, am I willing to trade a couple of college tennis and golf programs for players who are getting concussed regularly to get a little bit more money while they can't? Yeah, I think that that's fair, but I understand that other people may not feel that way. Do you think do you think uh, schools are going to require more compliance, Steph? Sure. You know, so here, here's here's one possible way that this could all play out. You might have what Nebraska might say to all, all of their athletes across all sports and say, "Tell you what we're going to do. If you want to go out alone in this world, you can. But I'll pay each of you eight thousand dollars up front." For your likeness rights, and I will give you a 20 to 25% cut of every deal that we set up. And then I'm going to go bring in a couple of people from our law school and from our business school to go out into Lincoln and to go out into Omaha and to go out nationally and secure deals for you. And that way, one, we're going to get a cut. Two, we're going to make sure none of you guys sign up and sign up a deal for a casino or for a porn company or something. Um, and you, you feel you, you can you can feel that you have some measure of protection. So that would involve some more compliance staff. Uh, that would potentially allow Olympic sports or women's sports to get a little bit more money. And certainly in a place like Nebraska, could your volleyball team like be a, an attractive commercial property? Like, absolutely, people would definitely pay money um, for that. And and that might actually help people. You know that 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 might help that might help players get more money and and do this in a way that makes it less likely folks get taken advantage of. I don't think that that's necessarily the most likely scenario, but I, I think that might be the one that does the least amount of harm or disruption. We have a long ways to go with this, don't we? Before people need to freak out about anything. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out now. You hear a lot of people in the Big Ten like, "Oh, we're not going to schedule California teams." Or, Ur. well, like, look, look, buddy. Like for one, a third of the Big Ten might have the might have this law going through the books by next week, and they're kind of stuck there. You're not going to not schedule 20 percent of the U.S. population. And these guys like Gene Smith or Barry Alvarez or some of these other leaders who are old, you're not going to be here in 2023 anyway. Barry Alvarez is going to be like 78 years old when this law allegedly goes into effect. He's not scheduling games then. Like, I, I wouldn't freak out um, unless you were a compliance officer or somebody who works in, like, the development department of a mid-tier college football program who depends on this money. Then you should probably freak out a little bit or if you're an attorney. But otherwise, um, is this going to completely shatter competitive balance in college athletics? That doesn't exist anyway. We have scholarship limits. Alabama can't really sign that many more blue-chip kids. It's all probably going to stay the same. We're probably going to get some funny commercials out of it. It's probably going to be okay. I like the way you you said probably like 18 times. I, look, man, I, I, can't, I can't tell the future. Uh, thing, weird, weird things happen all the time. The sport changes all the time. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what the SMU people are going to do. I don't, I don't, I don't know what kind of ridiculous, crazy bagman structures might get set up. Like, I don't know. We might not even have college football in twenty years, man. I, who knows? But like, I, I do. I think that like this is the threat to everything that we have. That's holy. I, I really don't. Well. I, I... This harkens back to the the word probably there harkens back to why as you get older, the more you hate change, because you look at this and you say, everything's fine. What's wrong with the way things are? It's, it's clearly not fine. Um, you know, practically speaking, college football is dangerous. And it's, it's become more dangerous over the years. And a lot of players look at this and realize, look, even if everything goes right and I get in the NFL, I don't have a guaranteed contract. My ability to make money, like my, 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 my career here is very short. And the amount of money that my school is making or that media companies are making or local businesses or a bunch of other people off of my performance during that very limited window, that's, it's a, you know, pardon my French, it's a shit ton of money. Um, and so, and that really wasn't the case in 1974. It wasn't really the case in 1986. Um, and so I can understand why a player is looking at this saying, look, look, if you, I could tear my ACL tomorrow and be done forever. And then I never got a taste of any of this money. All I, all I have is this communications degree where I was only kind of in school. Um, and I have a credential, but, but I missed out. Um, and the more money flows into this sport, the more you know, substantial that dynamic becomes. So that's a big pressure point. I think we've seen here with the FBI's uh, you know, case in college basketball that the corruption uh, in, in that sport has, has grown to tr tremendous levels. I say corruption here not because I think that a player getting any money here for being good at basketball is bad, but because we have a system that drives all of this underground – it leads to a lot of uncles, a lot of AAU coaches, a lot of runners, a lot of unsavory characters capturing that value in the middle, taking advantage of the player. Um, and now we're seeing more and more really good basketball players say, I'm just going to skip this. And I think that hurts college basketball. So we have the quality of the sport itself, not to mention a literal criminal element being involved. Um, I think so th those two things in conjunction make a, a pretty strong demand that what we have right now is not fair and it's not sustainable.
Well, as a, as a, I've never been, you know, when I was, I raised three kids or I helped to raise three kids and my wife isn't here to argue with us. So, uh, but <laughs> I never told them life is, was fair. You know what? Never. So the fair part, uh, I'll leave out of it. The sustainable part though, why don't you think it's sustainable? Just because more people will go to the pros in terms of basketball? I mean, I don't understand why you would say it's not sustainable. Mostly because um, it's been going on. You studied football history, college football history, and you know all the way back in like 1905 or 1910, guys were getting paid and they weren't even student athletes to come on teams. So the money aspect of football and the underground aspect has always been there. Why suddenly now do you think that sustainability is an issue? Well, I, I, I legitimately think, I mean, just, just a couple of years ago, we, we had a player unionization effort that came pretty close to, to passing. You know, had it, had it come from, you know, maybe a, a more popular individual player on his team um, that would have completely upended literally everything. You know, that I think would be closer to an existential threat to the NCAA model than this. Um, because the inequality gap has grown so much larger than it was, I mean, uh, you know, ever. Uh, I think in football, the, the risk that you run if you do nothing besides attracting a, a more criminal element is a legit walkout. I think you could have a labor stoppage. Like, what would happen if we get in here for the Rose Bowl and both teams just decide not to show up? Um, or, or the NCAA tournament, which is actually a much bigger issue to the NCAA because they get paid more for basketball than they do for football. And we've known this can happen. It happened in professional basketball during the beginning of, of their unionization. Um, we've, we've seen demonstrations in college football happen throughout history. We saw it at Missouri recently, which almost ended the game. We've seen it. There was a, a huge run of this in the late 60s and early 70s for, for racial-related reasons, and that led to some game cancellations and some coaches being fired. Uh, it even happened in Nebraska once, I, I think just after World War II. So, I, you know, if, if, if you let that kind of inequality and that kind of power imbalance fester, once people are made aware of it and don't make a meaningful way to address it, the change is going to come in, in, a, in a radical or revolutionary way. And that may not be a way that is not just good for the sport, but um, in, a way, in a way that's less predictable or controlled. And that's true for college athletics. That's true politically, I think. That's true for lots of other institutions. And while we've had people getting paid, we've had the, that institutional imbalance for almost 150 years. I don't think it's ever been as stark or as dangerous or as well-documented as it is right now. That's a nice line, but it it, it oh, is the inequality. Why they pay me the big bucks? Yeah, it's it is the inequality that's driving this, isn't it? I, I it's a big thing, and we have a more I think I don't want to say radicalized, but just a, a more self aware um, group of athletes right now who, who understand where this money is going and where it comes from and and what it means for them. Um, and there, I think this is a group of people that are less likely to accept the status quo than maybe they were in the in the mid '60s. I know. Does this does this mean that we have to professionalize everybody and cut them a salary and give them you know, put give them collective bargaining rights? Some people would argue for that. I don't think that necessarily has to happen. I think a lot of kids just want some peace of mind, knowing that they're that, that, that they're they're mitigating their risks a little bit, given how small their earning potential is.
Uh, and this is a good step in that direction. All right. So I'm going to give you some points that are negatives or what, what people responses I've seen from people that they're like, you know, these are very negative things. Uh, you might've addressed them, but we're going to touch on them anyway. The rich get richer and the divide between the haves and the haves nots gets even wider. True or false? I, yeah, I'm, I'm not as sympathetic to this in, in part for one, if we're, if we're looking at this in just in terms of recruiting outcomes, um, there's literally, it literally can't get much wider because we have scholarship limits. Alabama, in the best case scenario, can literally only take 25 blue chip kids and they're taking 20 or 21 of them each class. And then even if you're paying a kid, they have to recognize, you know, near the bottom of that pool, they have to recognize, I might, I still might not get to play. And it might be nice to get a $10,000 check. Um, from a bar in Tuscaloosa, if I go somewhere else, I have a higher pass for playing time. I have a higher pass to, for, for, for much bigger professional riches. And that ends up what, what happens for a lot of these, these schools that oversign. We're not oversign necessarily, but over-recruit is those kids then end up transferring. So if, if that does happen, like literally it will be difficult for it to become more unequal. And the market, because you can only play 22 guys, tends to sort itself out a little bit. My counter argument would be, if we're looking at this just from a recruiting perspective, and it actually might really benefit a school like Nebraska, um, I think there's, there's an argument to be made that you might be able to actually outbid for some of these players. Like right now, legally, Nebraska can build the biggest football facility, right? You can, you can bring in a, a, a quality football coach. You can give players every creature comfort they could possibly want. And for the most part, I think they've done that. But so have another 30 schools. But if you know Nebraska is looking at a kid that Ohio State's also recruiting, and that kid is number twelve or number thirteen in Ohio State's board, and he might be able to get some kind of endorsement check, and he might be, you know, he might start as a junior. Nebraska could say, like, listen, man, Columbus is a big city. Like, this is this is true. Look it up. Uh, and your, your your path to playing time is a little bit different. Come to a smaller market. Um, not only can you get a bigger endorsement check, like you can be a god. And then even if you, your NFL career doesn't pan out you might have a, a better path towards, you know, being the biggest man in Lincoln or, or you know, having that be, you know, uh, part of your professional career than you might at Clemson or Alabama or Oklahoma or Ohio State. And I think that even goes down the line a little bit because Nebraska could theoretically do that to Ohio State. And I think a Houston or an SMU or somebody in the American could potentially do that to a Big Ten team. Um, so there is the potential for actually – if you're motivated enough, greater recruiting equality, it's difficult for me to see how this can make inequality worse. While you were talking about that, I suddenly something popped into my head that uh, all these kids are going to be invited to be on The Bachelor. So there's going to be a Bachelor College edition. I mean, could be. Uh, I don't know. You know. That would be a disaster, but it would be compelling television. But I guess I don't know. The well, I, for the bachelor. I have no idea why that popped in my head. Uh, all right. There's a lot to sort out with this. You, I was going to ask you about the recruiting, but you already covered that as, as maybe a, a negative point. But there's a lot to sort out on this. And it, it seems like some of the key points are going to be uh, because it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. The, the, the big question for me that I think is really very unsettled at this point is how open to marketplace are we going to get? 
are we going to allow athletes to be able to access this money before graduation, or will the NCAA require it to be put in some kind of trust? What kind of restrictions are we going to put on what kinds of businesses or what kind of endorsement deals players can sign? The California bill, for example, prohibits athletes from coming to a school and signing a deal that comes into conflict with the deal the school already has. So if you want an Under Armour shoe deal, you can't go to a Nike school and keep that contract. Will the NCAA or will this compromise bill offer additional exclusions? Will there be a salary cap on the amount of money that people can, can, can earn over the course of a year or over the course of a career? A lot of people seem to be convinced that lots of car dealerships are going to throw out six figures for crappy football players just as recruiting bonuses. Um, there's, there's a lot of other kind of new nitpicky policy things here that, could, that really could happen in either direction. And I don't have a good sense for you know, what kind of compromise will be allowed, and that's going to determine a lot of what this looks like in practice. That's what we need to figure out over the next two years. This is what the lawyers all over the place are doing right now. And uh, listen, man, the only, the, only, the only team that's always undefeated is billable hours. <laughs> well, I'm in a different industry, and I like the sound of billable hours. So I, yeah. I, can, I, I, can, I can understand the lawyer's concept of that idea because uh, unlimited billable hours is the most fabulous thing ever. Three words together, the most fabulous three words ever stated. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else should we cover? Is there anything else we missed? I, I, I think I think that's the I think that's the biggest stuff. You know, I, the, the last thing I, I would just encourage anybody that's whose visceral reaction to a lot of this news is I'm I'm going to stop watching. You know, this is too professional. I, I'm not engaged anymore. I would encourage you to really you know interrogate yourself. What is it about the idea of athletes getting more money, whether that's a little bit of more money or maybe a lot more money? that makes this experience not fun for me? And does that change if I knew that my favorite Nebraska football players are probably getting, have probably made a, a check worth a comma um, over the course of their football careers, either recruiting inducements or $100 handshakes or other things that go on? Does that, are you okay with it? If you don't know about it, are you okay with it? And a student, if players make more than a certain amount of money, then it's not okay anymore. Ultimately, I can't tell you how to fan. But I would encourage you to kind of ask yourself those questions and think through it yourself to figure out what exactly it is about that that's troubling to you. One way or another, when all the lawyers are done, there's going to be some people with red ends on their helmets, you know, playing football on Saturdays against other teams. For me, like regardless of, of what their W9s say, like I'm going to have fun watching that, but you may feel differently. You know, that is one thing that I do not enjoy about professional sports is like turning on the radio and listening to, for example, I don't know, some ESPN hosts talk about contract negotiations with some player. It's just, I, I don't enjoy that very much. I hope that that doesn't come to college football, although, I mean, we're all dying for content during the off season. So, you know, maybe I'll embrace it because it will allow us to have we won't have to be as creative. We'll just sit around and talk about car dealerships and pizza parlors. I don't know who's making money. Car dealerships don't make near as much money as they used to. And I know we use that as a, no. you know, so we, we need to, we need to brainstorm and find out who really is going to be the guys that, you know. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, the people I've talked to, like car, car dealerships is an easy thing because like, a lot of the current bag men right now tend to be 
card work in that industry, that's an, that's an easy way to kind of launder benefits. You know that that's that's why people seem to, that's why Dodge Chargers seem to pop up, you know, in uh, in, in parking lots. But um, I, I think the biggest thing is going to be within social media influence for social media influencers and for like campus bars or promotions. If you go to a college campus, you're going to see those little like flyers everywhere down the main drag of like here's a party that this bar is hosting or. Um, and then if you can say hosted by star quarterback, star defensive back, star shooting guard, and they're all getting a thousand bucks to show up and tweet about it and put it on Instagram, I think that's where they're going to get more money. The whole but, okay. you know, we we can go into social media influencers at another time. Yeah, this I I I think this is this is probably. I think I think we've hit just about everything. I, I know I, I appreciate that many coronation readers already do this, but if you are interested in the minutia of not just these laws, but some of the other off the field stories that impact what happens on the field, whether that's college football history, whether that's uh, media deals and the business of this sport, or, or kind of or, or demographics or other things, you might enjoy Extra Points, which is a newsletter that I write twice a week. And you can subscribe at mattbrown.substack.com. We'll we'll put that in the show notes. And I I think we're going to end there. Uh, Maybe next time you're on, uh, we'll we'll talk about social media influencers for some reason (laughs) or another. Sure. Let's do it. I'd like to connect to you all on LinkedIn. (laughs) There you go. Okay. This has been uh, John's post-life crisis with Matt Brown about SB 206, the death star that will destroy college sports as we know them forever. I hope you all have a better week than the week we're having after Ohio state has smashed us into the ground. Uh, Thank you for listening and take care.